Coming up in this episode, Randy and I are going to talk about the pros and cons of souping up your bike, hopping it up, if your intent is to do a lot of cross-country touring. Also, our featured ride of the week, Chadwick to Rockaway Beach in Missouri, 22-mile ride, and it is a fun one. So stick around and we'll get into it. Shut up and sit down. Welcome to Random Thoughts from the Road on the Ozark Rides Digital Network. Conversations about motorcycles, any random thoughts that pop into our head, and of course, what are the best places to ride in America? The Ozark Mountains of Missouri and Arkansas. And now, here's your host from OzarkRides.com, Craig Allen and Randy Lewis. Some of you might remember the old gas slogan, put a tiger in your tank. Well, I've got a new slogan for you to remember. Put a tiger in your phone. Law Tigers, the legal team whose members are both experienced motorcycle riders and aggressive trial lawyers. Their motorcycle accident lawyers fight on behalf of injured riders like you to get you and your family the compensation you deserve. So go to LawTigers.com and put their number in your phone. Law Tigers Motorcycle Lawyers, helping riders find answers. Is your ride road ready? Try saying that three times really fast. I don't think you can do it. But seriously, if your motorcycle isn't ready to hit the road, remember the red level technicians at Heartland Honda in Springdale, the first level five Honda powerhouse dealer in Arkansas. They can get your ride ready for the road. Plus, Heartland Honda has a huge selection of Honda motorcycles, ATVs, and side-by-sides with excellent financing options. Check them out online at heartlandhonda.com or give them a call at 479-751-7022. Heartland Honda, work hard, play hard. Do you love getting your kicks on Route 66? Well, then take a ride through Pulaski County, Missouri. This 33-mile stretch of the Mother Road is filled with beautiful scenery, Great throwback diners with made-from-scratch meals and plenty of historic sites that are worth stopping to stretch your legs at. Some of the top highlights of the ride include Hooker Cut, which was once one of the deepest cut roads in America. The limestone walls are truly impressive. Devil's Elbow, which was once known as one of the Seven Wonders of Missouri. Three impressive rivers, including the Big Piney, the Gasconade, and the Robidoux. All in all, the drive takes about an hour and a half, but give yourself a little extra time because part of the fun is stopping and visiting with the locals. Download their app at PulaskiCountyUSA.com. Digital downloads to find even more impressive stops. Welcome back to another episode of Random Thoughts from the Road. July has begun and we are in a heat wave, brother. With me, as always, is little Randy Lewis from Bike Works in Urbana, Missouri. What it do, Uncle Cletus? Uncle Cletus. Uncle Cletus yeah. is broke. More like Grandpa Cletus. I'm broke. That's right. I mean... And or one slip away from the box, Cletus. <laughs> the day that I have feared forever has come upon us. I'm using a walker. Holy shit. <laughs> it, it just absolutely makes me giggle every time I see you. Yeah, me blowing out my knee makes you laugh. <laughs> yes, it see does. See what I've got to put up with? Yes, it does. You know... The only thing that would make him fall down and just tears cry into his eyes of laughter is if I had my leg amputated. Oh, he'd love that. <laughs> I don't know about that. but Because yeah, then he'd want to ride my bike. Shoot. You know, I know you're yeah. jealous. Don't be jealous. Yeah. Well, have you had a good week? 
Man, it's been a week nonetheless. Yeah. Now take a break from sipping your beer. Don't <laughs> I need to get you a straw. <laughs> That'd make it. I got the big thick straw. You need to give me a pitcher is what you need. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So mm. we're going to talk. Uh, let's just get right into it. Uh, first of all, let's talk about our featured ride. It's the Chadwick to Rockaway Beach. It's a short ride. It's only 22 miles. You'll find it on page two of the Missouri Ride Maps page at OzarkRides.com. Now, this is a fun ride if you're going to Branson, Rockaway, in that area, because you can kind of parallel 65. Yeah, yeah. Why would you want to ride down the freeway when you can take a very scenic back road that has lots of elevation changes and stuff? Yep. And it runs down a county road, or if you want to call it a highway H, it's a really good quality two-lane paved road. Yeah. And it runs right out of Chadwick, of course, hence the name. What? Yeah. <laughs> and if you've never been to Chadwick, there's nothing there, but there is an old-timey general store. Yeah. And I mean old-timey, like maybe early 1900s. That's rad. It is. Wood floors and everything. And um, they have a little deli in there. And, and I mean, you walk through the front door of this place and you swear you step back in time. The only thing that make it better is if they were wearing like uh, feed sack dresses and. I'm not old... sure they don't. Yeah. Just I, if I, if it was me, I'd just play it up. Yeah. And you go in there and they'll make you a sandwich. What, what do you want? Yeah. But you know, and they got a little deli mm-hmm. and an old antique uh, cooler. That's bad. And, and, and then, you know, I just give me a bologna sandwich and they'll cut it right <laughs> off the slab. Yeah, fried bologna for you, huh? Yeah, fried bologna. Don't start. <laughs> it is way too early for that. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Quit picking on the old gimp as he slurps his beer. Mm-hmm. The more beer he drinks, the smarter his mouth gets. Hey, it's just is what it is, man. It is what it is. So you stop in at Chadwick, get yourself a bologna sandwich, set out on the old wooden front porch, and then head Chew down. Chew a little backer and do a little spitting. Yeah. So you'll head down uh, Highway 125 for about just maybe a mile at the most, and you'll come across County Road H, just hang a right, and follow this all the way down. You're going to really like the ride. The road is exceptionally well-maintained. It's not a lot of potholes or anything, and uh, it's a great alternative, as I said, to going down 65. I mean, why? Why would you go down 65? I don't know. Stupid is as stupid does. I don't know. Well... Moving on to the subject of the day. Yeah. What I want to talk about is... Medications, preparation age, how to get rid of your hemorrhoids. That is that what you need to talk about? <laughs> your ointments and such? We'll be taking applications for new co-host anytime you want to <laughs> You spend. should. You should. I don't know why anyone would want to listen to my bullshit. I know. Oh, um, what I want to talk about is I used to do a lot of long-distance touring, and... Uh, I hear about a lot of people hopping up their bikes. Yeah. You know, I mean, really souping them up, which is fun. This this is not a, a dissing of that. Oh, God. Not no. at all. It's more of application. Yes. Uh, and we're approaching it from the aspect of if you have a bike and your intent is doing a lot of long-distance touring, and I don't mean going to Sturgis once a year or, you know, maybe go to Laconia every other year or something – that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the guy that's maybe retired and uh, he gets to just All get, he does is go ride. Go ride. I mean, you know what? I'm going to uh, California this week. I don't know why you'd want to do that, but, uh, you know, or I'm going to uh, Yellowstone or wherever and, and, and you do a lot of riding. Is it worth hopping up your bike? And if not, where does the limit reach? In other words, 
what can you do to your bike to help improve the performance where you're not getting into a scenario where you are required to do a lot of maintenance just to keep it functioning and operating properly? Yeah. And here we go. Go. (laughs) I have thoughts, but I'm going to let you spew. So it depends on what you're riding. Honestly, you know, we're going to talk about the greatest thing in the world, which is Harley Davidson, right? Here we go. Atypically, that's what you're talking about. No, yes, in, in, because you really don't need to hop up an Indian. Okay. So in all reality, like like we we're talking about, it really depends on what your end goal is to have. Um, most of the guys you talk about touring, touring all over the country, you have a touring style bike, correct? Yeah. So in the Harley realm, there are certain there's certain things that I think are a must for it. And in my opinion, a good high flow exhaust. A good so we're talking about you have made the conscious decision to not leave it stone stock. Yes. You're going to do something to it. So where's the cutoff? What do you do? This is where I think the cutoff is, is I would keep it simple. You know, I do a set of good touring cams so that you have power in the RPM range that you're looking for. They make bagger cams, well, touring stop cams. You there. What kind of power do you need? I mean, let's say you're you're not a goody two-shoes and you run the speed limit and you obey all the laws. Let's yeah. say you live a little bit on the edge. Okay. What is the performance, what is lacking, I should say, in the performance of, you said Harley Davidson, but I'm, this is not Harley. No. In no. reference to any bike that you have to do that, that. Yeah, so this is where I would go. Because you can pass anything on the road on a stock bike. Yeah, stock bikes are great, especially if you want peace of mind. Just leave it alone. I kind of put this into the category of stock, truthfully, high flow air intake and a high flow exhaust. The reason why is it gives you just a little bit more performance, a little bit more oomph when you want to twist the throttle. And when I say twist the throttle, I'm not talking about from stoplight to stoplight, just Yeah, you're not talking about racing or anything. No. Say you're out on the interstate somewhere and you want to easily get around somebody. So say you're out in the western part of the country in the Rocky Mountains, somewhere like that, or the southeast part of the country in the Appalachians, where there's a lot of elevation changes, a lot of hills, a lot of mountains, if you will. A little extra oomph really helps with the ease and the comfort of riding. Instead of downshifting a whole bunch, it'd be nice to be able to cruise fourth, fifth gear up and down these hills. So with a high flow air intake and a high flow exhaust, you're going to get a little bit of that power. Plus what you're going to do is you're going to lower engine temperatures quite a bit. And engine temperatures will on a Harley absolutely just kill the rider. You know, when it's, when it's baking or if it's really, really hot outside and you're out west, anything that you can do to lower EGTs or head temperatures is only going to be good for your rider and the engine itself. So a lot of guys don't think about this as far as stock, but I, I feel like more stock would be a high flow intake and high flow exhaust. On the new Harleys, they got catalytic converters in them. Yes, the EPA, great, whatever, but... I like to get rid of that shit. I like to get that out of there. Let the exhaust, let the engine breathe a little bit, lower some of those exhaust temperatures a little bit. That right there is typically what most people do, especially when they're talking about touring all over the country. They don't want to crack the engine any because reliability. Well, that's basically what my bike is, is just yeah. high flow exhaust. Uh, I got a, I don't know if you'd call it a high flow intake. It's It's got a K&N. And, and honestly, in the grand scheme of things, that's not high flow. No, it's not. So the difference in a, a stock air filter to a Canon air filter, it doesn't necessarily flow more CFMs. It does flow CFMs better, but it also filters more microns is what it is. So a K&N into a stock air box is stock. 
It's not a big upgrade. It's not. It just breathes a little better. Yeah, it breathes easier for sure with better filtering. And then on my bike, the only other additive is it has a uh, fuel controller. Yes. Yep. So that's typically what people do. And most people are perfectly fine with that. But let's say you're pulling a trailer. Let's say you've got a lot of gear. You're the guy that wants to throw his, his tent on the back and sleeping bag and, you know, clothes for a week. Well, what is that? That's extra weight. A little extra weight is going to kind of counteract what you're talking about there. So that's why on a Harley's Wise, we talk about doing the next step up. It'd be like a stage two is what they would call it. You don't necessarily have to do, you know, big radical cams, big bore kit, high flow heads, big throttle body, all that stuff. That's great, but it's not necessarily conducive to what you want on a big cross-country trip. So we're talking about a set of touring cams or bagger cams for the Harley. And this would apply also if you're having uh, somebody ride with you on the back. Yes, exactly, exactly. So that's about as far as I would really like to go as far as making one super efficient, super reliable, something that you can just hop on, have a decent amount of power, pull the extra weight, and still not have to worry about it. So they make a whole bunch of different camshafts for these things. But the touring cams typically will build power from 3,000 to 5,000. Well, that's a higher RPM. You know, most guys think about, well, I want to just do burnouts or I want to do wheelies. Well, that's a different selection. That's a different build. That's a different everything. But for the purpose of what we're talking about, a good set of quality touring cams that builds more power at the upper end of the RPM range, high flow air intake, high flow exhaust. That bike's going to be very reliable. You're never going to have to worry about anything and I'll be honest with you, yes, Harley had a bad rap through the 70s and 80s for leaking oil. That shit's a thing of the past. Harleys don't leak oil like they used to. Harleys are very reliable in the grand scheme of the bigger picture. You know, the new M8 motors are doing really, really well. The new M8 motors are making more power than Harleys ever made on a, on a motor, ever. Um, most people, you know, new M8s are kind of pricey. So in our area, a lot of people are still running the twin cams, which I think is probably one of the most reliable engines Harley's ever made was the twin cam. So that's Harley. Let's bridge the gap. Let's go metric. Okay. Yet I'm not talking about, I'll, I'll be straight with you. I'm not talking about Indian. I'm talking what, more you got like, like, a, like a gold wing or something. You don't have to do anything. That's what I was, I was just going to literally say that. We're talking about the Kawasaki, like the Voyager or the Vulcan or the Yamaha, some of their big CC bikes. Uh, I don't think Suzuki really makes a big CC touring bike. And then you also have on top of that BMWs, the Honda Goldwings. Truthfully, the less you do to those, the better. The better. Exactly. Just run it. A lot of people will want to make them sound louder or do this or do that. And they don't necessarily help the performance of those a lot. They really no, and don't. I can tell you from experience, when you're doing a lot of long distance touring, loud motorcycles are fatiguing. They're exhausting. Very fatiguing. Yeah. Yes. You know, you, you talk about the wind fatigue just by being out in the wind for right. seven, 800 miles on a day and how exhausted you are just from that. But the noise will absolutely just make you wear out. It'll tear you up at the end of a long day. Exactly. So those bikes are a little bit different from air-cooled V-twins. You know, they're liquid-cooled. They're all in one. They don't make as much power, but they have different gearing. And that's a side of things that people don't really understand is it's the gearing of stuff really helps as far as RPMs, longevity, fuel mileage, things of that nature. 
So if you have a, a metric touring style motorcycle, truthfully, I'd leave it alone. I'd put a good air filter into it. Make sure, you know, the consumables, the fuel filter, spark plugs, things like that are top notch, top quality. And high quality tires. Yes. Do not go yes. cheap on tires, you idiots. Yes. Do, I'm not referring to you idiots that do that. Oh my gosh, I see it daily. You know, they've got a, a $15,000, $20,000 machine and they're like, well, I can't really afford these good tires. So let's put a, let's put a set of cheap ones on. I'm like, dude, you know, you're talking about doing 5,000 miles on one trip you're going to, you might have to replace your tire out there on the road with these cheap ones. And then it's costly. And then it's time down. Nothing screams, fuck me. When you've busted a tire yes. in the middle of the Dakotas, in the middle of nowhere <laughs> yeah, at night. Where it's Satan balls hot yeah. too. Yeah. It's just, it's just not a good idea. So running good quality stuff is, is probably one of the bigger things when you talk about, you know, doing a lot of long distance traveling. Um, the BMWs, and the Honda Goldwing, in my opinion, is probably the best overall touring motorcycle. Absolutely. For not having to do anything for it, for having an immense amount of power for everywhere that you need it, and for comfort, truthfully. Now, I'm, I'm a taller guy. The comfort, as far as that goes, isn't necessarily the greatest for me, but I guess we're getting up. Surprisingly, the Goldwings are, are uh, a low bike. Yeah, yeah, low seat height. Yeah. BMWs are a lot taller, obviously, but the thing I hate about them is, is just the foot position. They're back up underneath my knees. standard set upright. Yeah. Yeah. You sit upright on them a little bit more. And I've never been a big fan of putting highway pegs onto a gold wing. Some of the BMWs are nice, but they've got such a wide engine up front that I swear to God, it's like you're in a OB clinic trying to get your shit checked. You know, your legs are spread way, way out there. It's just, for me personally, it's not comfortable. Those boxer-style engines are bulletproof. They are. They are. So that is what's great. So if you really are thinking about long-distance traveling, all you want to do is get on the road and be out there for eight, ten thousand 10,000 miles at a time, I would seriously reconsider what you're riding for that purpose. Exactly. So when you think about long distance riding and overall traveling, what are the biggest things that you think about? Well, the biggest thing that I think about is, is my bike, number one, ready for the trip? Is it going to be reliable? Meaning I don't want to be that guy broke down in the Dakotas. Mm -hmm. And uh, am I physically ready for the trip? But that's a different subject. Yeah, you ain't physically ready for shit. You're about physically ready for a nap. <laughs> you ain't lying there. <laughs> um just the the overall bike reliability. Back when the day when I was doing a lot of this, my first question was, can I go out there right now, put gas in it, and absolutely have no reason to think this issue, whatever that may be, is it going to raise its ugly little head along this trip? Am right. I going to have a problem? I won't take off on a trip until that bike is specked out. Yeah. And I know that it is 110%. So on my side of it, because I don't, I don't think about the minuscule things as much as I do the big picture. But the little, little things is the ones that yeah, get you. You're 100% right. You were very right right there. I think about storage. Storage. How much shit do I need to take with me? Whether it be, you know, a, a little small repair kit, you know, sleeping bag, tent, all that stuff. Storage. And then in today's day and age, fuel mileage. It's a big thing. Honestly, you have your I did that stickers ready at the go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it is. The Joe Biden pointing at the gas prices. 
Um, no, but it, think about it though. Fuel mileage. Say you're taking an 8,000 mile trip and you're on a big hopped up engine. Those typically don't get very good fuel mileage. No, they don't. More of a stock one gets closer to the factory specs as far as fuel mileage. That's something to think about. You can spend a couple thousand dollars in fuel on the trip, or you can save a little bit of that money and spend it towards beer. Beer, exactly. Whiskey, women, sitting and looking at the coolest stuff. You know, you can enjoy it or you can spend it on stupid necessity of fuel. You know what I mean? I do. So when you try to pick a motorcycle for long distance riding, get in the back of your mind what you need. Are you the guy that packs a lot of stuff or are you the guy that wears underwear for eight days in a row? You know what I mean? So what do you need out of your long distance trip? In my opinion, fuel mileage is is the bigger thing to me because I can go with little, but you can't go very far if you're getting 20 miles to the gallon on fuel. Right. There's a lot of places in the country where... That ain't going to cut it. Yeah, yeah, there exactly. There have been two or three times in my life where... I always carry a little uh, spare gas can in the saddlebag. Yes. They make these that fit the Harley bags. Uh-huh. And uh, there's been two or three times where I've had to pull that out. Exactly. And use it because it's a long way between here and there. Especially if you're the type of guy that likes the unbeaten path. You yeah. never know where you're going to be able to get fuel. You never gonna go know the quality of the fuel that you're getting. So there's a lot of things that take into account for that. So we talk about going back to Harleys. You're running a big hopped up motor where you're getting, truthfully, even those hopped up ones, they still get somewhere around 28 to 30 miles per gallon. But when you think about the other end of that, where you could be getting 50 or 55 miles to the gallon, that's a big swing. That's quite a ways in distance wise where you can go on a, on a tank of fuel. Yeah. So when hopping one up, you got you to gotta take into account what you're losing. It's Newton's law. For every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction, correct? Yep. So you take a Harley and you bore it out and you put big bore pistons into it. And this is something I absolutely hate. Like I don't typically bore a stock cylinder. A lot of guys are like, why? It's a lot cheaper. Well, the cylinder walls are a lot thinner. Anytime you get thinner cylinder walls, you get excess heat. Anytime you have excess heat, you have piston breakdown, ring breakdown. You have a lot of extra stuff that comes along with just simply boring a stock cylinder. So I typically opt for a larger cylinder that's got thicker cylinder walls. You know, one that's been manufactured that way. So when you talk about, you know, big boring and high flow heads and larger throttle body, bigger injectors, yeah, you're making a crap ton of power. But what is it getting you? Well, you have to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Yes. I mean, if my intent is, again, coming back to the original thesis of this conversation, is to do a lot of long-distance touring, why would I do all of that? Right, right. First of all, it's very costly. It can be. And second of all, that's money you can be putting into your beer fund. <laughs> yes, please. Thirdly, you're more than likely to have troubles Mechanically mm-hmm. speaking. Mm-hmm. You're 100% right there. You know, this conversation is turning out really awesome. I don't know if it's the medication or not, but I swear that I've heard you say that I, me, am 100% right more than once. More than once. More than yeah. twice. More than three times. I, I will give it to you here. As far as the long distance riding, yes, Craig, you have got a leg up on me. You've done more long distance riding out there just beating up the roads more so than I have. So you flatter me, sir. You flatter me. There you go. Enjoy another beer. 
I will. I'll say I anything will. to get an extra beer. <laughs> yeah. So to wrap it all up, as far as where that goes, stock is okay. There's nothing wrong with stock when you're talking about reliability, long distance riding. Now, if you're the guy that is carrying a lot of extra weight, you want a little bit more oomph, you want a little bit more passing power, a little bit easier in that fifth and sixth gear cruising, high flow air intake, exhaust, possibly a set of camshafts if you're in a Harley or an Indian. I want to circle back on something that you didn't cover that I think you were intending to. If you put high flow intake and say some slip-ons or something, you're going to have to address the fuel controller. Yes, yes, that brings Otherwise, us, you screwed yourself. That brings us right into our next, somewhat of our next topic. So there's so many fuel tuners out there. I call them tuners, whatever you want to call it, tuning boxes, whatever it is. There are different levels to those, okay? So depending on what you are doing, it's going to depend on what tuner that you get. So a lot of it's guys- It's not a one tuner fits all. Not necessarily, truthfully. Uh, in my opinion, it's not. I kind of like the best of the best. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it right. Now, you also have to take into account everybody else's budgets. Budget is always the X factor at any time you're doing a build or doing anything. So high flow air intake, high flow exhaust. Yes, you are right, Craig. You need to add a little bit more fuel to compensate for the extra air that you're running in and extra air that air and fuel mixture that you're evacuating out of the engine. Now, they have everything from a hard wire where you literally have to splice into your harness and wire this fuel tuner in. Typically, those are on the cheaper end. Typically, they have a more vague parameter of what you're tuning. They're usually called like a three-pot system where one button controls idle fuel, one button controls mid-range fuel, and then one button or dial controls overall fuel delivery. What I found with those is turn them all down. A lot of guys will jump on those and think, oh, I need more, I need more, I need more, and turn them way up. Well, now you're just burning extra fuel. Yeah, the engine runs a little bit cooler because you're running rich, but you're not really making that thing run optimal. So I typically will turn them all down and turn the overall fuel map up like one or two points, depending on which tuner you have. Now, I can name drop a whole bunch of them. Like there's a Wiseco tuner, there's a Cobra, there is... Dinojet, there's Power Commander, there's Wild Ones, there's the Dinojet Power Vision, there's the Harley Screaming Eagle, there's the Lloyd's Kit. There's so many more out there. Which one's the right one for you? So what I always think about is what do you want in goal? Would you always have to keep that in mind? I mean, from the beginning to the end, what is my goal? What am I trying to accomplish? Correct. So I don't mind spending money, but I mm-hmm. just grinds on me to spend money I didn't have to. Exactly. And I've done a lot of that. Yes, you have. Typically, you you buy those cheap ass parts and then you bring them in. I'm like, dude, this is. I did not that gonna, once a long time ago, and I'm never going to live it down. This is not going to cut it. Not typically. You need quality. Here. I did that once, <laughs> and I regretted it. You should still regret it. So there's a lot of different ways you can do this. There's aftermarket tuners where you plug it into your factory wiring harness, plug it into your factory ECM, hardwire it into your injection harness. You know plug and play into your injection harness, whatever it is. And then there's dyno tuning. Dyno tuning is a little bit different. It's a little bit more costly. Now it is very, very precise, but... But is it going to require you to do a lot of maintenance to it? I mean... No, no, it really isn't. Go back and redo it every six months or something? 
Yeah. So the easiest one for me to talk about is obviously Harley because that's the larger part of what you're talking about dyno tuning. There's not a whole lot of people that dyno tune their, their Kawasaki Vulcan 900, if, if that makes sense. So in the Harley and even Indian, truthfully, so you take it into a dyno shop, whether it be a factory Indian dealership, factory Harley dealership, or an aftermarket or a independent, I should say, dyno tuning shop. What they can do is they can plug into your stock harness they put it on the dyno, they run it and get a base. And then people that are really good, they have a, a pretty decent idea where they need to go with one. Typically dyno tuners tune it just a little bit rich because it's, it's honestly, it's a safety for them. If they tune it too far to the lean and you blow it up, who are you pissed at then? Yeah. So they typically tune it just a little bit rich to make sure that you don't blow anything up. And then you come back and say, Hey, you owe me a new engine. And they would. Yes. So then what they do on their second pull is they put their, what they think is right for the bike. They rip it. They put another dyno tune on it. And what that's doing is it's changing the parameters inside of your stock ECM. It is a hard flash on your ECM. Then on the third pull, they fine tune it, make sure it's well within the range, make sure everything looks good. It made good power. All your stuff is, is good. And then typically it takes three to five pulls for good dyno shops to get it dialed in. Now what you have when you're done with that is a decent price tag on your dyno tuning, but it is pretty well fine tuned, but then you don't have any way to change it after that. Say you've done an air intake and exhaust. Well, now your budget allows for camshafts. Well, guess what? You're back to dyno tuning again. So anytime you make a change, no matter how minor, they'll throw it off. Yeah, you got to do a dyno tune again. And then average cost is about 700 bucks for dyno tuning anywhere you go. So anytime you make that little change, you're $700 more. Granted, it's very fine-tuned after that, and it runs great, and it's very nice when you're done. Now, the flip side of that is these tuner boxes. And, I mean, they go anywhere from, like we talked about, a hardwired in. Those hardwired three-pot systems just get you in the realm it gives you in a safe spot to where the basics of the basic. Yeah, exactly. You've done high flow air intake, high flow exhaust. It adds just enough fuel to make sure that you don't blow anything up. You're not running lean. It's going to be pretty good. It's not going to be perfect, but it's going to be pretty good. Then it jumps up to say a, a better one, like the dyno jet power commander five, the power vision, whatever it is. They have what's called a base map bank. So what you do is you go into a bank of maps for your year, your model, and appropriately your setup. Now, typically those guys, what what they do is like, say DinoJet, shoot, they'll dyno a shit ton of motorcycles in one year, right? Yeah. So then what they do is they save their files to a bank. So it's essentially like a library of files. So then when you put that product onto your bike, average cost is around four to $500 for the tuner. You put it in there, then you get a select. Most They're all VIN locked. So you put your VIN number in, it locks that tuner to your bike. You can't pull it off and go tune another motorcycle with it. But what it does is then you put in your year, your model, and then your setup. The downfall to that is, is they typically will dyno tune on name brand stuff. Well, what if you're the cheap guy that has, you know, unbranded mufflers or a custom built header or something like that? Well, there's not that parameter in there. 
So what you do is select the closest thing to what you have, whether it be a Screaming Eagle or an Arlen S high flow air intake or a Barron's high flow air intake on metric bikes. You select that and then say you're running a set of SNS or Vance and Heinz mufflers. Well, then you select that. And they've got a lot of different brands of that stuff. So what you're looking to do is just select what's the closest to your setup. And then it is a file that they've already dyno tuned a motorcycle with. And then you basically are uploading it to your ECM through your tuner box. Most of them, you have to have a laptop where you select that file. It's plugged into the tuner. You upload it to the tuner and then you upload it from the tuner to the bike. And then after that, it's just as if you were dyno tuned in one of those houses. Now, there's another step up from there. The Power Vision, in my opinion, is one of the best tuners on the market right now. But then they also have what's called Auto-Tune. There's a lot of machines out there that have O2 sensors or an ECM that'll let you select Auto-Tune. So when you do this, this is where it gets costly. Just one example, the Power Vision. You could do Power Vision and then you could put an Auto-Tune box on top of that. And what it does is it's another costly box that puts O2 sensors into your mufflers and it plugs it into your ECM or actually it plugs into the, the Power Vision harness which plugs into your ecm what you do is you select a base map and then you can select auto tune so then you can go out run the bike for three or four hundred miles and it creates its own map for where you're riding how you're riding it's the takeover of the robots yes learns yes it learns then once you're done with your auto tune section you can upload that map that it created and that becomes your base map and then now you're running very, very optimal. It's really fine-tuned. It's really fine-pointed. Then if you change anything else, you can just redo the process all over again. You can select your auto-tune, create your own map. I typically name the maps when I do this in my shop. And then you, you put that in as your base map. Now the Power Vision, I believe, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, you have, I think it's, two or three maps that you can select from on the fly. So bring it full circle back to long distance traveling. Say you're from the Midwest. You have a map for the Midwest. You can select that. Say you're running way out West, high elevation, right? Say you've went out there and you've spent a lot of time out there and you've created a map for out West, whatever elevation. Well, now once you get out, out wherever you're at there, you can select to that other base map. And it will automatically start running off of that base map. That tuning. That's kind of clever. It is. And then say you run out east. Well, and you've, you've put the leg and the time in out east. Well, now you can select that map. So that's what's really cool about some of those tuners is there's a lot of stuff that you can get into. Well, I think for the purpose of touring, less is more, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. The factories have done it right from the beginning. They've made them very reliable. They've made them to last and go the long haul. Because when they don't, well, that brand fails. So they've done the homework into making them work. Exactly. Well, we're going to wrap it up there. Hey, listen, if you've enjoyed this episode and would like to help keep it going, then you might consider becoming a club member. It's easy to do. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Ozark Rides. Or, of course, you can click the Patreon link on any page of OzarkRides.com. 
We've got giveaways, exclusive videos, and you even get access to the podcast before anyone else. Not sure if that's a bonus or a takeaway, <laughs> but, but it's there for you. Also, you get automatic entry into our new monthly prize giveaway. So if you're inclined, consider that. So until next time, Randy Squeaky Toy Lewis <laughs> yep. will be with us next week or if possibly, if, possibly depending on who replaces me. <laughs> exactly. It's depending on how the applications are coming in. <laughs> so until then, stay safe and keep it on two wheels. <laughs>